When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. There were four Irish victims in the Indian Ocean tsunami. One of those was 23-year-old Michael Murphy, whose remains were not identified until five months after the tsunami. Two weeks ago, I went down to Michael's home, just outside the village of Blackwater on the east coast of Wexford, and spoke with Michael's mother, Teresa, two of his brothers, Paul and Kevin, and his sister, Anne-Marie. This is their story. Disaster. Death. Tragedy. Suffering. Pain. All in, in pain and one, I suppose. Michael was my eldest child. He was the centre, he was the the man of the house really here, you know, always was. You know, we all looked up to him. I even looked up to him, you know, because if we wanted something done, you know, it had to be him who made the decision really, you know, about things, about, you know, uh, if you were going to do something with the house or, you know, and I remember he sowed all those trees outside, you know. Those trees mean so much to me. You know, even when when he came home, when the body came home, you know, that grave didn't mean much to me at all at first. But the trees out there, I used to watch him because every time he rang, he'd say, "The trees go, ma. Did the trees grow, ma? You know, he always said that." But the year, the year he went away. I, no, I was happy that he was happy, you know, because I knew he was happy, you know. And when he told me he wasn't coming home for Christmas, all right, you know, I was kind of disappointed, you know. And I was sorry afterwards that I hadn't encouraged him to come home, you know. That was one regret that I had, you know, that I didn't say, I'll go on, come on, for God's sake, come home, you know. And uh, I kind of ha- I regretted that afterwards, you know, that I didn't encourage him to come home for Christmas. But then again, I said, if he's happy... You know, and he told me he was going to Thailand. And I said, well, if that's what makes him happy, you know, that's okay by me. Even though it was a bad Christmas, even without him, you know. 
and he was still alive at this stage. But for me, it was a bad Christmas. Honestly, it was. I don't know. We really missed him. He was absent, you know. Brother of mine, the eldest, the eldest brother we had there, um, went to college in Cork. Then he um, he worked at the sea for a while, but then he went to Australia because he didn't. He kind of got fed up working there at the sea, so he went to Australia. Then um, went to Thailand on the way over. He loved Thailand. Um, then he went to Australia for a year. I went over to visit him then for two weeks or three weeks there last September. Then um, he he. Um, his visa ran out then, so he had to go back to Thailand then to kind of renew his visa, like you know. So that's when he got caught up, then caught up then the tsunami, you know. So that's basically what happened anyway. Kind of wrong place, wrong time, you know. Like at least the car crash, like you get your body, you have your funeral, and it's all done and dusted, I suppose, like in a week, like and then you can start rebuilding, start getting on with things, but. Five five months is an awful long time. Like without without a body, like and like even in in them five months, even like till we got official word, like I always, you know, I was you never even dream about it, like you know, Michael just walk in the door, like and say hello, and you know, but even though you'd wake up, and you just think it was not going to happen, like. Well, the first I heard of, about the tsunami was we were, Dermot and I were going into Mass on a Sunday, um, on St Stephen's Day. It was, wasn't Sunday, it was, it was Sunday, was it? St Stephen's Day at 12 o'clock. And the news, we were a bit early, I think, because I think the Mass wasn't until a quarter past, but we thought it was 12, you know. And the news came on, the midday news, and it said about the the tsunami, you know, and... It's uncanny, but the minute I heard it, a feeling came over me, and I cannot describe it, but I knew from that moment that there was something wrong. And I said to Dermot, I said, ring Michael straight away. So we tried to ring him in the car, and there was no answer. And we went into Mass, and all during that Mass, I kept saying to Dermot, did you get him, did you get him? Even though the Mass was on, I had him. I had him trying to ring Michael, you know, which wouldn't have been like me. Because I'm not a mobile person myself, you know. I wouldn't have been into mobile phones, but Dermot would be. But um, but I just couldn't under—I couldn't describe the feeling I had, because I knew I kind of—I just a feeling of gloom came over me that minute, the minute I heard the news. Ah, uh, mommy come, came home from mass and. I was in the bed. I was dying of a hangover. And um, I got up and Mammy said that there was a tsunami uh, in Thailand, but I never really thought much about it, really. It just didn't dawn on me that Michael would be involved in it, you know. And she just said, try ring him. Like, we all had his number, so we all tried to ring him, but they kind of... They were after saying like that all the phone lines and everything were down, like and all communication was down. So, you know, I just thought like really um, they'd ring when communication would be up or something like that. You know, just let us know that he's alright. 
He was a very thoughtful kind of person, you know. He never forgot a birthday. Never. I wouldn't say he forgot anybody's birthday in his life. Uh, I definitely looked up to him. Like, he was a big brother in every way. Like, he'd look after you. Like, you want advice or you want, want anything, really, he'd give it to you, you know. That kind of way. That kind of way. Yeah, I spoke to him for a few minutes on Christmas Day, I think. I was on the phone, I think Paul rang him, or... Did you ring us today? You know, so Paul, did you ring him, Paul? Yeah, I rang him on Christmas Day, yeah. I was talking to him for a while, and, and that, before that, now, it was a good while before that, I'd say, when I was talking to him. But that was the last contact I had with him, anyway, I'd say, on Christmas Day, like, spoke to him for a few minutes. Were you talking to him Christmas Day? No, he got cut off, so I didn't get to talk to him. Kind of waiting around then for Michael to ring. He didn't ring, and Paul, everybody was, Paul was trying to get through to him, you know, and um, went to work the next day, but I tell you, I wasn't worth tuppence. You know, just couldn't focus at all. I didn't go to work after that. That was my last day at work. And um, that was that was the end of it, really. You know, that was. When he didn't ring then, and I can't, we contacted John Murphy's mother then to see had he contacted because we knew Michael was with John, you know, and he hadn't. And eventually, some time later, they contacted us to say that John had emailed, and that was really bad news for us, you know. Well, it was bad news for me anyway because I said, you know, if John was able to contact. Sure, why couldn't Michael contact, you know? And um, just carried on from there. And I kind of sat around here then for days, you know, and eventually it got to the stage where I couldn't take any more of it, you know? And I said, Paul, we'll have to do something. I said, we'll have to go out there, you know? And he said, straight away, I'll go. But I knew as well as that that the both of us couldn't go because we'd be leaving Kevin and Emily and doing it at home, you know? Paul was stronger, I suppose, at the time, really. It's a very long journey over now. I got the boat, a good friend of ours got us a ticket, you know, Claire Welsh. Got the boat from Ross Lair to over to Paddington in London. And um, then met a cousin of mine, he went over with me, Michael O'Donnell. He travelled with me all the way over. We're meeting another, um, John Murphy, we kind of relation of ours as well. He was a cousin, he was kind of travelling with Michael, but he'd left him like four days before. The tsunami they split up, like, you know, they travelled on their own, usually anyway, you know. But um, it's a very long journey home. I think it was longer on the way home, though, you know. We went to Bangkok first, and then got another flight from Bangkok to Phuket. Um, we, we were met by, I think it was Kyle O'Sullivan was the guy's name, from the Irish Embassy at the airport. He brought us down to a hotel, stayed in the centre of Phuket. We met the Irish ambassador, Dan Mulhall, there, and met um, Barry Murphy as well. Um, you know, Barry is a boyfriend of involved, and he kind of told us the story. He had seen it firsthand, like you know, but um, kind of after we we felt hopeless just sitting there waiting. There's embassy and all sitting there, and just there's a big kind of centre down there in Phuket, like where you go down and you look, you, you ask people and you put their details up, like. But we kind of felt like we were 
this is hopeless, like, we're not doing anything here, we might as well go to the exact point, like, where it happened, like, you know. So the Irish Embassy didn't really kind of like doing us doing that now, but I said we're doing it anyway, and that's it, no point. Sitting here, I mean, answer phone calls and stick up pictures, like, I didn't think it was any good, like, because there's thousands of people doing it anyway, so. So, I kind of went against our word then, we went up to the actual sites, like, where the bodies were, and I kind of remember thinking, like, um, if I was in Michael's shoes, where would I be, like, where the best beach, like, I, he loved beach, so he'd find out the best beach and the best scenery, and and that's realised, and I said, Cowlack is definitely the place. We walked the beach there, actually, um, and actually still bodies on the beach, but we weren't supposed to be on the beach, but kind of said there was an, I said there was an architect, actually, so it let me in to look at the beach, so we walked up and down that, and there was still kind of bodies washing in there, like, you know, but definitely it would have been the place where he would have been, anyway, you know, so, Absolutely beautiful now, I'd say at the moment. Like, well, that time was just a total wipeout. Like, you know, after that was that was that night. I think we went up there. Now, it was still bright actually. All right, but kind of knew then, like straight away after when I saw. Oh, I drove all we drove all up around along the coast. Like, taxi driver brought us all along the coast, and we looked at it and we said, I remember saying to Michael O'Donnell, cousin of mine, saying like, this is there's no way any man could survive this. So. I said, there's no hope that this man and his brother's not going to be alive anyway, like, you know, but it took me about two days to find the courage to ring home and tell him that, all right, like, you know, probably the toughest phone call I ever made, but... And uh, I was afraid to ring Paul now, I did, you know, I said, I can't contact him. I was, I was really afraid to ring him and afraid to contact him. Because deep down in my heart, I knew. But I remember a few days after Paul went as well, or maybe before he went, Paul, Kevin ca- called me down here and he said, Ma, he says, this is, the, this is where Michael was, he said. When I looked at that television, I said, not a chance. But um, the feeling never left me, you know. It never left me that he was gone. I kind of kept putting it off, like, and putting it off, and putting it off, like, you know, and my cousin Michael O'Donnell kept saying, we've got to ring home, we've got to ring home, like, and I was there, no, no, we'll keep checking, like, and keep searching, and kind of just couldn't sleep that night, so didn't sleep really at, at much at all out there, like, you know, so just kind of said, we have to ring home now, and this is the thing, we have to do it now, and that's it, like, so I rang the mother then, I mean, told her, like, the story, and... Couldn't believe it. Like, she kind of didn't believe I'd say until I told her myself, like, you know. But um, got over it anyway. I felt so, so sorry for him. It was him I was thinking of, you know, because I knew he'd be feeling that I haven't done it, you know, because the last thing I said to him was, bring him back. I can still see him going out there, in the, going out the door, and I said, bring him back, Paul. He said, I will. Funk all came. Just see, see me with her crying and all, you know. Just, just knew there was something wrong. And I asked, I asked Mammy what was wrong, like, and she told me what was wrong. And I spoke to Paul on the phone then. I just didn't know what to do, really, like. I think I just went outside. I got the car. Drove off. Didn't know what to do, like. Probably should have stayed here, like, but just didn't know what to do. And ironically enough, I went straight to the beach. Don't know why, like, you know. Just sat there. But when I worried, I said, I will go down here. My uncle came down then. 
But um, I don't know, I just wanted to clear my mind, like, get my thoughts together, you know. I was raging. Couldn't believe it. Worst, worst hour of my life, was it? Didn't know what to think, like. I don't know, I felt like going for a swim or something, I don't know, just felt like jumping into the sea. kind of angry that like that you didn't like I know get to say goodbye properly you know or something like that or just send them a text message like just just tell them what that you love them or whatever Wave came in, it came in like maybe, I don't know, maybe half a mile first. Sucked all a lot of people back out, but then it came in the second time and went in a lot further. Like, but that's kind of why it's just like houses, just everything is just level, like everything is level. Like, the smell, it'll always be in my mind, the smell, the smell you never forget. Like, it's just, oh, the smell of death everywhere, you know. It's nothing you, you couldn't. Understand, like you're walking along, like and you're stepping around like dead bodies. It's hard to believe, like you know. Maybe you're hoping, like that. Maybe the next one you see now could be your brother, like you're. Maybe, maybe you don't want it to be, like you know. I kept searching, then kept searching, searching all the sites. Kind of like standard procedure is like it was all like there's all morgues up along the coast, like where all the what going Cowlack, Phuket. Fangya, um, Kofifi, you go to all those actual morgues, like you know, there's kind of three like where we were centering it on because it was around Kowlak along the coast. And you go in there to the sites, there's maybe three, four hundred pictures like of dead bodies and people with tattoos, people with jewellery, you look at the jewellery, look at the tattoos, pictures of tattoos, look at the hair, but, like kind of dead bodies are all the same because they're all blowed anyway, like you know, so very hard but anything then that looked like it resembled Michael Hall like you get put on your suit then to dress you up you go in and you walk around the field you root around the bodies like and kind of we do a lot of detail you know like it's not very nice now not a nice sight I can say that and then, looking up to John Murphy you know from Cartlow actually he was with me and he was up with Michael like a week before that so split up him four days before the tsunami but he knew exactly what Michael was wearing, what jewellery he was wearing, what his clothes looked like. He, he came in one time and with a red shirt like we, we kind of thought he was wearing, you know. He came in to one of the morgues with me one time and then um, the minute he opened, he, he opened the bag, like he opened the bag like and you see all the bacteria and all and he knew straight away because the wrong lacings in the runners so he said no that's it, now here now and that was it. But, um, and the photos was good, like, but you see the body yourself, you know exactly, like, you know. But the condition of them was so bad, like, to be eaten away more or less, you know. So, like, kind of, I was kind of sure, like, after I made the phone call, the next day I went up to look at one body, I remember seeing a photo of it. I kind of thought sure it was him, like, you know. But they're always hoping, like, do you want to find it or do you not want to find it, like, you know. It's, like, if, you, if you want to find it, you're more or less saying, like, well, there is no hope, he is dead then, like, but. Do want to find it then? 
maybe you get conclusion to it and say, this is it now, so you're all, you don't know what to do, whether you do want to find it or you don't want to find it. I remember that morning going up, I thought sure, like, this is going to be him, I thought this is red, it's red, these are his runners, I think he had my sandals, shorts, everything was, but I remember going in to see that body now, and the lads were waiting outside for me for about half an hour, I was just rooting for a long time, but kind of hard to, hard to identify a body, like, when and his face is eight to half feet and off, you know, and arms broke, because they're all afraid. Damage were rubble and all, you know, when the tsunami happened. When in so much detail, I remember it was actually his breasts, that's why I knew it wasn't him. The size of his nipples, that's what. That kind of detail I went down to, I knew it wasn't him then by that, but stranger things you'd remember, like you'd remember every scar he ever got when he was two or three, or you'd remember everything, like, you know. Strange now. That's it. Kind of like more or less zombies over there now for the five days, I think. You know, there wasn't much, there wasn't much said, like, there was no sleep and there wasn't really any eating or just walking around and taxis up to the morgues every day. Like, I give a DNA sample, like, in every site, like, every morgue site, you know. But, um, all the memories will always be there anyway, that's for sure. So, just kept travelling anyway. Kept looking and looking and looking, but kind of no point, you know. Because it was 4,000 bodies, like, you could have stayed there and looked, like, for maybe three months if you wanted, but every day you could tell if you went to the same site, the second day you'd tell they're after deteriorating more, like, and it gets tougher and tougher to identify a body, you know. Very hard to handle, like, you'd hear it, like, maybe a mile away, someone's after identifying their relation, like, you just hear, like, people screaming and shouting and roaring, they're after finding it, like, you're kind of saying to yourself, like, maybe you don't want this to happen, like, maybe you do want it to happen. You don't know whether you want to find the body or not, you know? That's more or less what I'm saying, like, you know? So you came home after the five days? I did, yeah. What was that like coming home? It kind of felt bad, like, because kind of mission incomplete, like, still the same as when you went out, like, you know? Kind of didn't really want to talk to anyone or... Just feel like locking yourself in a room like for maybe a month or so and just not talking to anyone. That's basically what I felt like, you know. I didn't. Cause felt like I hadn't accomplished anything by going out there, really. Now it stands to mind for now, alright, like I'm happy I went out, like, you know. And at least I tried anyway, I can say that, you know. I was delighted to see Paul, I really was, but I hardly recognised him. That's the truth. I hardly recognised him. He was gaunt. He had a beard. The life was drained from him. I'll never forget it. And I, I was so worried about him afterwards. You know, I even called the GP to come and, you know, have ordered him or see what he'd say about him, you know. Because I was, I was worried. I was scared for him, you know. I was. And even for weeks afterwards, you know, I didn't know what to say to him, what to, what to do for him. I really didn't. You know, and I was kind of trying to struggle myself as well, you know, so... It was hard. But it was so hard for him. And people kept saying to me, you know, Paul has been through so much and he's so 
you know, it'll have a lasting effect on him. And it didn't do, it didn't help me really, you know, because I felt that I should be helping him, you know, more, and I couldn't, you know. I didn't know, I didn't know how. And did you want to find out everything that he had seen or found out when he was over there? I didn't really know, because he told me, he told me a good bit of it, you know, and and it didn't really matter to me at the time, really, because all I all that mattered to me was that Michael was gone. You know, that's all that really. You no, know, that was the biggest. That was the biggest. That's the biggest thing about that. You know, he's gone. We'll never see him again. You know, we'll never ever see him again. You know, you would like we all were kind of glued to the telly, like just to see like where it was affected, and you know, and how many victims, like you know, are after being found. Or you know, it's kind of relief that you know when you hear stories on the telly or the radio, or saying like, yeah, there's um, after being so many found and people, you know, being reunited with their family and all, you know. No, the minute the television come off, man, I turn it off. Hated looking at. Don't ask me why, like I suppose. It's just, it was painful watching it, watching it, you know. People, people kind of meeting and all, kind of like you know, it's their job and all, but they were kind of wallowing it, kind of you know, like they were kind of not enjoying it now, but just it was a story, like you know, a scoop for them, really, you know. I didn't, I didn't really like that, you know, but. Just kind of stuck to myself, you know. Just kept on hoping, like you know. It was basically, yeah. Do you know when I couldn't watch the television? I couldn't. No, I just couldn't. I hated. It. I hated the television, you know. Hated. Well, I always had thought in the back of my mind, like, do you know what? I he would turn up. Um, even when Paul was out there and got the phone call from Paul, like, you know, you know, I was kind of, um, in denial of it. And, um, even after he came home, I still thought in the back of my mind I would turn up or I'd find him or he's up a mountain somewhere, you know, just keeping away, keeping out of it, you know, until he could get home. Um, when I realised that, I think it was my birthday, because my birthday is in January, and um, uh, he'd always, you know, text you or send you over something or, you know, do something, like, on your birthday, like, just to let you know, like, that he's thinking of you or something like that, you know. That was the hardest for me, really. Yeah. 25th of January.
January. And so we came back, I don't know what date it was, 6th or 7th of January, and kind of people trying to get back to work then, you know. And I didn't have much interest in work myself, I remember that time, but I was planning on maybe taking a month out or something, but after sitting around the house like for days and then with just sitting here doing nothing, like you just say, uh, just keep busy, like, keep busy, so. Still trying to do that at the moment, like just keep busy and busy and busy and you never you never to sit down and think then like you know. Like it only gives a day went past that I didn't ring the the Thai, the, the Irish representative over there, the ambassador, I think to the day I didn't go by until until April when we found the body like that I didn't ring him, you know. Just keep ringing and ringing and keep trying like. Because there's always, there's always a hope, like, that we will find him, but then there's this sad misfortune that you might never find the body, like, you know, some people haven't found their bodies out there because kind of when the second wave came in, like, it dragged people back out and just sunk to the bottom, like, so they're never going to find their relations, like, you know, so it's kind of a bonus, like, to find the body as well, in that respect, you know. Like, you'd always get another bit of information, maybe once a week, which you keep you going, maybe, Say one week they found his passport on a beach, so you're kind of then trying to find out what beach it was, exactly where it was. Another thing, you might find his bag then another day, like, but more or less, you find his passport then, it's kind of that was the last hope that you know, really hope then, like, because if you'd have it, be alive, you'd have, it, have his passport anyway, you know, so that was kind of it, like, for me anyway. I know it was getting closer every day because Superintendent John O'Driscoll, like, was. He'd ring me every day, like he'd he'd report at half seven every morning to the Thai government, like and to the centre over there, like so. He'd say like maybe two thousand one hundred and ninety-five left now, and the next morning he'd ring you and say like, "There's more people have been found now," or you know. So kind of, I knew it was getting closer. Like I always knew it was going to get closer. Like you know, he'd give you an update every morning, like of what was happening, like, and that was it. I used to be thinking, the way I used to think was, it doesn't matter whether we, whether we get his body or not. It doesn't really matter. I, that's the way I was thinking that time. You know, because it's not him. We want, I want him. You know, what good is a body to me? Even though I always, I never ever thought for one minute that they wouldn't get his body. That never entered my head, that they wouldn't get his body. You know, and when they found Lucy Kyle's body, I knew in my heart and soul that any day now it would be Michael. You know, but it didn't really matter to me at the time that whether we got his body or not, because he was gone, and all we had was his spirit, really, and his spirit is with you, really, all the time. You know, he, he's with us all the time, and he's with everybody. And it didn't really matter about the body. But then, when we had the funeral and when he was buried. It kind of took on a different context then because it really, you know, the show of support that, you know, it was such a fitting tribute to him, that funeral, it really was, it was lovely. And he deserved it, you know. And, um, you know, everybody really showed how much they thought of him and of us. That was really what mattered, you know, and it was good that we did get a... Body, but from that point of view and from the grave point of view, you know, because it's somewhere to go and somewhere to talk to him, you know. But he, it's not him, 
you know, he, he, his spirit, is, he, it's his spirit really that matters, you know, that's the way I feel. I was actually on the way to work one morning I was and I knew John had just a little ring, he'd ring about half eight, nine o'clock every morning. I was only going in for a while actually because I had a wedding the next that morning actually I had a wedding that morning. But I saw a private number coming up and I knew I always knew it would be John O'Driscoll like. So John rang and he said, We found the body now and that's it. We'll just we just have to get a dental record now. We kinda of got all those sent o- sent over like and um the other guard as well, Joe Kinsler from, he's from Wexford actually, he fingerprint expert, he got fingerprints of Michael's books here at home like, and John John said it's more or less confirmed like Paul, this is Michael like, you know, we've got his dental mould now and it's more or less matches us. And just rang, rang my mother first and told her like, and rang a Marie and rang Kevin and let them know as well and just rang work then and said, I said, not going to work today. And, Kind of like, you don't know what to do, like, but you're kind of expecting, like, it's going to be coming home now straight away, what will we do, we get organised, but it doesn't happen with that, like, when it's that far away, like, so I don't know how many days it took to get it home, was it eight or nine days, was it? About eight or nine days, that's what it took to get the body home. So it was still a long wait, like, you know. been easier for you since Michael did come home? No, I don't think so. No. It just, it's just, you grow used to it. You grow used to the pain. You grow used to the absence. You grow used to, you get used to, you know, it's always there. That pain, that ache, you know, and that longing to see him. That's always there. And that person who lost her son told me that. She said, that'll never go away. She says, and it won't get any easier, she said. It's just that you get, you learn to live with that. You know, you learn to live with it. And it'll become part of you. Which is true, it's very true, you know. But it doesn't go away. Because you don't want it to go away, really. You know, I think that's, that's the thing about it. You don't really want that to go away because you want to feel close to him. You want him with you all the time. And that's why it doesn't go away, because you don't want it to go away. But you learn to cope with it, you know, that's the way it is. That's from my experience anyway, you know. Funeral was, um, kind of came into the airport, into the Morgan, the airport, and a couple of friends and Kevin went up there and then he came from came from Dublin then, he went to City Morgue then in Dublin, then we brought him from the City Morgue then down to Blackwater. But there was lots of people at funeral anyway, you know, as there would be, you know. Big funeral, like, plenty of... The RT were there anyway, <laughs> I can tell you that, <laughs> you know. I 
I didn't pray at first, really. I, I blamed God for it all, you know, and I said I'd never go to Mass again. But the Sunday after, I just found myself in the church because it was, it was just the normal thing to do. You know, every Sunday you go to Mass and that becomes a part of your life. So I still go and I still... But I have a different perspective on God because I'm doing a course, the Alpha course, which is all about Jesus, really. You know, and it has... It has kind of put things in perspective for me. It wasn't God, really. You know, it wasn't. Well, I don't know. Many masses, like, were said around that time, like, I don't know. Everyone praying pray and all this, you know. And I don't know, like it did not did no good like as far as I'm concerned, didn't It's not like I don't like, before that it was kinda of like not really that religious anyhow, yeah, like but like it was kinda of, but now even more so like, you know he this kind of thing like you know, just brought it into perspective like, you know. I don't think I'm religious anymore at all really, you know. I think he would have been asleep anyway. Like it was Christmas Day, like, and he surely would have went for a few drinks Christmas Day. He wasn't a big drinking man, like, but he wasn't ever drinking that day anyway. That was in the afternoon when we were on the phone to him. But Christmas Day, he definitely would have went for a few drinks, like. So I would have presumed he would have been in bed the next morning anyway. I hope he was anyway, like, you know, it wouldn't be a nice thing to be if you were sitting on the beach or walking on the beach, like, you know. I'd say he would have been in bed anyway. So I hope he was anyway. I do, I still love the beach, I do, and I, I love going down there, and I, I feel close to him even when I'd be on the beach. I think that maybe I feel closer to him there than I do anywhere, you know, because I knew, I know he loved the beach, he loved the sea. You know, it was, it's part of him, it was part of Murphy's, you know, his uncle and his father, and, you know, they were all big into fishing in the sea, you know. And you used to go to the beach when Michael was missing? No, I never went near it. No. No, I didn't. No. Has my relationship with the THC changed? At first I kind of did. I kind of said to myself, like, I'll never go near the beach again, ever, like, ever. But then, like, we're always, like, a fishing community around here, and we're a fishing family always, so... And I just said, there's no point, like, I might just go down to the beach and get on with it, like, you know. Not really, hasn't changed that much anyway. Have you swam with the sea since? Um, no, I haven't swam in the sea since, no. No, no. But I will, like, you know. I will sometime anyway. I didn't really, like, I don't think I'll ever go back to my arm about him, you know. I was, even his room up there, like, you know, just... You know, I was expecting him to walk out the door or something, you know. Or just when you'd be thinking about him, like, or you walking down the street, you just think, like, you see someone look like him or something, you know, and you say, geez, that looks like Michael, you know. And, um, I don't, it'll never go back to normal as far as I can charge it, you know. No way.
the Murphy family would like to thank all those involved in the recovery of Michael's remains and to also thank their family, friends and work colleagues for all their support during the last year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.